Welcome to a very special edition of Journey to the Stage. I'm Brian Frazier. This episode of my podcast has a lot of firsts. It's the first to be recorded outside of my home studio. First with two guests and first outside of California. I'm just outside of Nashville, Tennessee in the studio. I'm actually my family's outside here, so this is kind of a lot of firsts here. It's a tremendous honor to be in Spooky's Lair, right? Is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. Spooky's Lair? Um, with my friends Derry Doherty and Steve Hindelong of one of my favorite bands of all time, The Choir. Steve, Derry, welcome to Journey to the Stage. Thank you. Welcome to our uh, little studio here. Yeah, thanks. It's actually really cool to be here. You're on family vacation, right? We are, and having a great time. Um, Steph plans incredible trips, so we're we're going hard through the day. We rest at night and seen a lot of Tennessee. It's a very, very picturesque state. I love, I'm a sucker for rolling farms, so I'm snapping a million pictures. It's beautiful right. here. Well, yeah, yeah we're from um, Southern California. Yeah. I guess Fresno is what? That's central. Central? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, but we've been here since 93, so. Yeah. Like what? Like 27 years or something like go- that? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. So you guys ought to move out here. It's, it's uh, Come on out. Come on out. Well, if Lisa Michaels, who's currently talking to my right now, has her way, I think that's exactly <laughs> what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, so quickly, you know, my, my history as a, as a fan of the choir is, is pretty, pretty lengthy and meaningful. I've been listening to the choir since I was 16. I can truly say that no other band has meant more to me for as long as the choir. Uh, so just as we, before we jump into some questions... Appreciate Derry being our engineer for today. So thank you, Derry. You're welcome. Working the knobs. So let's take a kind of a broad view. To date, you guys have released 16 studio albums by my count, three EPs, five live albums, and then of course you have your solo work, all the work you guys have done with the Lost Dogs, Kerosene Halo, and so on. What is it like for you guys? Or maybe you never do this, but just to take a you know the big view, take a look back at kind of where you guys have been what what is it like to to kind of take stock <laughs> well well i i mean it if you think about it it i mean it's been a long journey so mm-hmm. it doesn't seem it, it's weird because it doesn't seem like it's been that long but it has and i think a lot of that is just because we've enjoyed it so much mm-hmm. we've always moved forward we, we really haven't really quit for any length of time especially the last several years we've we've we just keep on doing new stuff we, uh, yeah. so i don't look back a whole lot mm-hmm. people often want us to revisit and oh would you redo this or redo that and i'm like no we're just looking forward mm-hmm. i'm not really ashamed of anything pretty proud of our body work yeah for the most part so i'm not sure how to answer that but you know, we haven't had a lot of uh, commercial success. We just haven't. And so sometimes I think, well, how could, how, what a bunch of losers, you know, after 35 years, we're still trying <laughs> to do it, but we have to. This is all we know how to do, mm-hmm. really. And uh, we get to. Yeah. Um, so I guess there's success in, in longevity because how many bands, most bands don't last three albums let alone however many we've done we always say how many you know i think we've we, i always I, I think i say we have 19 albums but mm. just depends on how you count them right. i don't know right um but it seems like we're gonna hit 20 for sure yeah yeah uh That's we awesome. just you know right now i just i'm all excited about a, a lyric i've been working on that Derry gave me some music and the, the weekend i had a four and a half hour drive from cincinnati and oh, yeah. all i do is think about that 
So all that's on my mind right now is the, the newest song that we just are going to write together, and yeah. that's what I'm thinking about. Well, you guys are not a nostalgia act. I mean, you, and that's why I think most artists, like my next project is going to be my, my best one. And mm. I could see that in, in, in what you guys are doing. And I lo- that's one of the things I love about you guys. But we never had a hit to play either, so. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Would you say you formed in 82, 83? Because I think your first recording came out in 83-ish. I think 83 is when we got together and called ourselves Youth Choir. Mm-hmm. And then the first actual album came out in 85. Mm-hmm. But I th- I'd say 83. Yeah. I mean, I started rehearsing with Derry about in 1980. Mm-hmm. But wow. it didn't sound. It was a different sound. It yeah. was before. It was before we. You know, there was even you two or the police. You mm-hmm. know, uh, so we got. You know, the our our musical thing kind of where we found our sound or whatever. Dairy found our sound was eighty three. Yeah. Yeah. So by any measure, I mean you guys are actually coming up fairly soon on a fortieth anniversary. That's right. Getting have, there. Have you guys maybe thought about doing a? 40th anniversary trip around the country a little well, bit. Well, we want a tour. We want to get back out on the road. Yeah. This COVID thing is last 2020 killed us because mm-hmm. we had a couple tours that we wanted to book and mm-hmm. we love being on the road. So um, anytime for us to be able to get out. Yeah, we want yeah. to get out. Yeah. And in fact, I think you guys were scheduled to come October 2019 out to our place. Mm-hmm. And that got bumped, and then everything just kind of right. fell apart right. from there. That's right. You know, it was so interesting. I, I had mentioned to you guys as we were chatting out in the living room, I had recently watched the What I'd Wonder documentary video set, which I still have on VHS. That was 32 years ago. That's yeah. pretty crazy. Yep. And one of the things I love about that is how it, how it starts once the, once the music videos are done. Somebody asks you guys the age-old question, you know, how much wood would a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? So let's, for a second, revisit what you guys responded with. It's kind of obvious that if a woodchuck could chuck wood, he would chuck only as much wood as he needed, unless uh, he derived some kind of strange pleasure from chucking wood, in which case he may chuck wood in excess. I don't even know what a woodchuck is. You had said back then that you weren't really sure what a woodchuck is, which is fair because I don't even know if I do. But in those 32 years that have passed, any idea what a woodchuck is now? No, I have no idea what a woodchuck looks like. <laughs> I have no idea anything about it. Now, Steve, you your first answer was as much as he needs to. But then you, you kind of waxed poetically. You said, you know, unless he finds some pleasure... Then he may create in excess. Have you? He may chuck wood in excess. Yeah. yeah. Well, I felt I was. My mind was ready. We were being interviewed by Tony O'Kay. You know. Oh, okay. Uh, was, yeah, he, he was doing the interview. He was doing the interview, um, and he's you know Steve Krikorian is his name, but his wife was doing the documentary, and I was extremely intimidated by t- that Tony O'Kay was interviewing mm-hmm. us, and I was very nervous, and I was just my mind was kind of spinning, so I guess I came up with something on the spot, you know. <laughs> It stood up over time. I'm like, okay, I could have, I could have any said a lot of dumb things or anything, but I guess that was an okay, uh, quick thinking yeah. response. <laughs> it was a great answer, but well, just cause, well, because yeah. Steve Krikorian could be real intimidating because yeah. he he's real intel really intelligent. Yeah. yeah, 
And of course, it would be like him to ask a question like that. Yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a a step, a little bit of a step back. I mean, your your guys' history is is well established. You guys were just on another great podcast where you kind of walk through a lot of that history again. Do you guys remember? Just taking a quick look back, do you remember the first show you guys played together? What was that like, if you remember, or maybe a first, an early show that you remember? Well, the first ones were we weren't even youth choir. It was me, Derry, and Tim Chandler. Mm -hmm. Tim Chandler got us together because I went to college with Tim Chandler, and he did some thing mm -hmm. with with uh, Derry, and we and it wasn't even like uh, this. It sounded like like I guess sort of like the Eagles or something, mm -hmm. you know, or it that kind of rock. Like, it was like yeah. Southern California rock, yeah, you know. And yeah. I remember those shows uh, were pretty funny and ridiculous. And uh, I don't know, but the, 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 do you remember the earliest ones? With, it's when we got Mike Sabre in the band to play bass. That's when it took off. And then we got Dan, like in 1984, mm -hmm. um, Dan Michaels to play sax and Lyricon. And that's when uh, we started. Yeah. But do you remember those early days? I remember, the, I, remember the early, I remember the early days trying to put, before our record came out, we were trying to put a tour together. And we ended up doing a tour before our first record. Oh, yeah. We went all the way across the all country. All the way across the country. Booked it ourselves. Really? Uh, our friend Leo road managed it. and Oh, it was disaster after It was disaster. disaster yeah. Staying in people's houses, not getting was, paid. You know? No, we lost money. Lost money. Uh, well, we lost money most of the time. I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah. man. Uh, yeah. That's not how it's supposed to but work. We had, yeah. we had a guy introduce us in a Donald Duck voice one time. And, oh, boy. Yeah, it was, really, it was really humble. A guy that came up to Dan and scolded him afterwards saying that you know you saw like that his sax was being his saxophone playing was being a, a stumbling block for his youth group you know wow um well just from the start it was hard for us because we didn't fit you know mm -hmm. we were whatever we came out of that whatever christian music was mm -hmm. and um we didn't fit it, and uh, there was a scene in Southern California of a lot of those bands playing Altar Boys and Undercover and Lifesavers, and they were all about the ministry, and mm -hmm. we were really good at that, and pretty soon we just wanted to write songs about whatever and make music that we wanted to hear, mm -hmm. and it didn't take long before, and then just the expectation, the pressure of like, what is your, is your music edification or is it uh, evangelism, you know, what's no. the function, like the idea that music is a tool, right. and Pretty quickly, I mean, it was like, we, well, you know what, to us, music is not a means to an, it's not a, mm -hmm. a tool, and we're not going to have, you know, meet your expectations. Mm -hmm. We never could meet the expectations. We couldn't be sold. We couldn't, you know, the, whoever promoted the show was not happy with what we did, and a lot of scrutiny in the yeah. early years. Yeah. Eventually, we just quit, quit doing that and just started making the records that we wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. And playing the music, just mm -hmm. wherever we got played, whether it be a club, whether it be a church, mm -hmm. we just played our music. Yeah. And if people liked it, they came, they liked it, and if they didn't, yeah. oh so well. Weird. Well, and we had, even back in the early days, we had promoters that really liked us. Mm -hmm. They just couldn't, they didn't know what to, they couldn't make any money off of us. Yeah. So if you can't, yeah. if they can't make a living promoting our show, then they're not going to book us. Right. Yeah. Do you guys remember before those shows, did you get nervous? Did you feel nervous before you walked out on stage? No, I don't. I haven't felt so. nervous in a long time. No. The only know. reason I ever felt nervous was when I didn't prepare enough yeah. myself, myself. Gotcha. The only time I'm ever nervous is when I the rare times when I play the guitar and stand up front. I'm absolutely terrified every time. Always, I don't know why I ever do it because it's just not worth it. The terror for me, but playing the drums and being back there and um, no fear. Mm -mm. That's fun. Yeah. 
It's just fun. I heard uh, Tim O'Regan, the Jayhawks drummer, say the exact same thing. He created a solo album, which is really, really good. Toured with Golden Smog as their opener, and he talked about how he was just ready to hide behind his drums again. It felt safer. Yeah, it's back a safe there. place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Understandable for for a drummer. Yeah, because you guys have played some huge festivals too. Feel nervous, you know. You look out from the curtain backstage, you see huge thousands and thousands of people. Is that the type of show you might feel a little nervous about? No, to me, it's no. not the people. I'm not never afraid of the, of the people. It's the technical thing. With mm-hmm. when it comes to a festival, you know, you got 15 minutes. Everybody's using the same drum set. You know, uh, you're trying to get your sound check. Just the technical thing that goes on in a big festival is can be a nightmare. It can be. And you that can't can hear each other, and it's big, and it's not. It's different. It doesn't sound mm-hmm. like a in a club or in a smaller no. setting. So sometimes it's just really hard. Yeah. Well, and especially before. A lot of the festivals we played were before technology had gotten to the point where now you have digital recall consoles where they can save a scene after the sound check of the first band. And so it's just press yeah. a button and you got your... This, they had to reset everything by hand. And okay. so half the time, I mean, you get I, up there, it sounds nothing like it did during... Sound. Yeah, because you're at their mercy yeah. If, yeah. if whoever's behind the board. Yeah, I'm just usually struggling with the drum kit because maybe the floor tom is higher than the snare and I'm going to hit the uh, rim or the, the kick drum pedal is like the kick drum sliding away from me or that I can't get the high, you know, I just can't get the, 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 the kit where I can play it comfortably. Because it's all muscle memory. You're used to things being laid out at a yeah, very absolutely. specific way. You know, your spaces. I'm a small guy, so I don't have a, I got to have things right where I can. So that's like a panic yeah. a lot of the time. I'm like absolutely panicking. Um, you, used to, you used to especially get, have a hard time back in the days of the rack drum set. Yeah, those that, festivals they have those big racks with all the yeah, toms on it. You're yeah. trying to move it around, and I'm just like, can I just, can I just have a basic, <laughs> regular kit? Give me Ringo's kit. Yeah, I'm good. just exactly. give me the, something basic. You know, yeah. don't put the ride symbol up like higher than my head, and I or whatever. <laughs> so, I, I, yeah, stressful festivals can be stressful for a lot of reasons like that. But never, it's not the audience. Okay, I think the only time I've been real really nervous at a festival was at Greenbelt which is probably the largest crowd we ever played for. And we oh, we played right before Bruce Coburn. Wow. And so the place was packed. It was like right at sunset, sun's going down, it's getting dark. We walk out on stage and I'm looking out there and there's like, you know, 30,000 people or whatever. And it's like, wow. oh, and yeah. Bruce Coburn's coming on afterwards. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, no. It went really well. Yeah. But, but that's the only time in the beginning that I've really been... Like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Yeah. The first time we played Greenbelt, it was in the afternoon and it was raining. And I, it was unusual because the audience had an umbrella in one hand and a cigarette in the other. Mm-hmm. You know, so there wasn't any applause. Right. You know? <laughs> Which right. makes it tough. Like, yeah. can they even hear me? Yeah, right. And over in Europe, they all have those big flags for some reason. Like oh, the people right. at festivals are always waving these huge, gigantic flags, and I never know what the flag means. It's a different kind of energy. It's a different kind of energy, but it's fun. Yeah. 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 Well, that's one of the greatest things about being in a band is that we've gotten to travel so much. Yeah. We've been to Europe several times mm-hmm. and getting to travel the country. I mean, we have been all over this country, back and forth, and I really like this country. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like... Um, you know, we're exposed yeah. to it all. Red states, blue states, whatever. You yeah. know what I mean? All yeah. people everywhere. Because they all like music. They all, Yeah. And, you mm-hmm. know, so... 
I think the only two states we haven't been to are Alaska and Hawaii. Right, I think so. Yeah, we've I mean we've played in almost I think everyone except that. Mm-hmm. But I love to watch the the the, it cha- the terrain change and mm-hmm. the the food. You know, whatever region you're in, that's the food you want to eat. Yeah. You know, if you're on the East Coast, you get the clam chowder. You know, if you're in Texas, you're going to get the brisket or whatever. You know. Uh, you're in Seattle, you get the seafood, you're right on the... You know what I mean? It's yeah. just so great. I love the country. Well, and Steve and I are all about the small little... We love the mom and pop joints. Oh, you know, too. we'll take a risk driving down the road and you see some little thing. Rose, Mike Rowe, when he's with us, he's all he's not like that. He's real um, boring. He has to have the same, same, same. He has to have Starbucks, Starbucks and he has to have uh, Panera. Cracker Barrel. Cracker Barrel has to be a chain. I've seen his writer. He's pretty high maintenance. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> no, he is totally high maintenance. You know? But Steve and I are always about, we hey, let's find, the, you know, let's find the coolest local place we can find and go yeah, eat there. Yeah, we, we're for, up for the adventure. I'm really the same way. I love, that's why I love road trips. And, and you know, as, as my family and I drove around um, the Franklin area today, like we got on some back, you know, let's get off the highway. Let's take a back route. And... You know, you come across the sign that says "Barbecue Beer and Jesus." I'm like, where oh, else? Yeah. Where else are you going to see that? You know, it's, yeah. Yeah. it's such a slice of Americana to see the kind of the back streets of it, so yeah. to speak. Now, what about you know? You guys have done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of shows. What kind of funny stories, you know, or or moments have you guys experienced in all of your oh, times on stage? Anybody trip and fall or? Steve, put your the mallet through the kick drum. Has that ever happened? Or you know, any any funny stories? I know fans love to hear stuff like that. Anything that well, it's like somebody falling. Um, the song. There's a song called "I'm Sorry I Laughed When You mm-hmm. Fell," on on uh, "Burn Like Midnight Sun," and that was about Dan Michaels fell off the stage in St. Louis, like a oh. pretty good high stage, four or five foot high, mm-hmm. and he just was walking across and just stepped off the edge and went down hard. Oh, man. <laughs> and then his sax got all dented and he was in the shop for like three days. But we all laughed, you know, but it was like terrible to have laughed because it, it you know. <laughs> but Tim, we know. Tim Chandler used to stir stuff up. He went through a period where he'd try and tackle somebody on stage. Yeah, because they would do that with Da, you know. Yeah, it wasn't. And Dan's right. eyes would get all big because he's playing his sax, and Tim would take aim for him, you right. know, and it'd be like, oh, oh no. no, I don't know. Um, now this was your guys' first record since Tim's passing. What was it like? I mean, obviously you've you've recorded other albums with with other bass players and things, but I know Steve. He was a big writing partner for you, and just not mm-hmm. having him, he probably would have played bass on this album, right? Yeah. If he were alive. Yeah. What was that like for you guys not to have Tim around this 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 go? Well, I mean, having him around as he was or having him around as he used to be yeah. are two different things. Sure. Tim is always a wild card as far as like he really wants to mess everything up, you know, and then <laughs> his whole thing would he'd get with Steve and he's like, Okay, let's screw this thing up. Whatever, yeah, whatever day he brings, does, let's, let's, let's screw it up. It. Let's, let's F it up. Yeah. I mean, you know, let's yeah. just say what he, I can't yeah. say what he said, but whatever mm-hmm. day he does, let's F it up. You mm-hmm. know? Um, so that, mm-hmm. and it was fun. I enjoyed it, that, because I liked the tension. Uh, musically, there was a good tension that he brought, and he was yeah. very musical. Oh, gosh. And, yeah. uh, yes. But in the end, you know, he wasn't doing so well in the end. Yeah. And uh, yeah. quite honestly, the Bloodshot album was was the most difficult record uh, with Tim. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I don't want to talk too much about that. But yeah, um, it's a mix of things, right? A mix of right. emotions. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Chris Donahue is like <laughs> best bass player we know, and yeah, just he's, he springs yeah. it, and it's just so. It was just like something new, and it was. 
uh, quite honestly, it was fantastic having Chris on bass, mm, you know? Okay. So it's just a new, we're moving forward, yeah. you know? Tim did new season. Beautiful things. Well, I can't imagine our sure. band, our music without Tim. Mm-hmm. And um, I always liked that, you know, I wrote, he, I, he'd usually write a couple songs with me. He'd bring a couple on the, on the record, and uh, mm-hmm. they're very different than mm-hmm. Derry's. And Derry didn't always, you know, react too well to what Tim would bring. It's just different. Right, sensibility sure. Absolutely. but to me it that's part of our band mm-hmm. that element that tim brought that wild card that it's good for two songs on the album mm-hmm. that it, it, certain people really gravitate to that kind of thing you know right and it just round to me it rounded out our mm-hmm. our thing yeah gives so, you a broad sound just i'm really thrilled with what chris donahue did on bass oh it's great and he'd I always know. tried he goes i really channeled tim on this one Aww. i really channeled mm-hmm. tim trying to he, honor him a little yeah bit, just sure. get it dig in deep and get that grind mm-hmm. yeah. i love that let's talk songwriting a little bit as a fan i i know that there are certain things that will be present on on a choir album they're going to be great melodies great lyrics sonics great sounds vocals area i don't know one of my favorite vocalists but in production and all these things great drumming um, and I've heard that, Steve, particularly when you are writing lyrics, I know sometimes you will labor because you, I really consider you, um, a wordsmith. How, when you are writing something, what, what is that like for you? How hard is it for you to really, with the economy of words, get down to the nugget of what you really want to say in a song? Well, it used to be a lot harder in the beginning, years ago, I really struggled. Um, I don't know why, but I just at some point, because I think I feel the pressure of an album coming, and like I've mm. said everything I could possibly say. I have nothing else to say. Mm. I would feel I'd panic. But um, at some point, I just relaxed with the idea that the music is going to make me feel something. You, most of the time, that that Derry does something, whether it be playing a chord progression or whether it be something he's demoed up or whatever it comes in a lot of different ways or else we're just playing we did a lot of times we'd be all playing together me tim and Derry. Mm-hmm. you know we approached a lot of, there's a lot of ways that we wrote songs yeah. but every time i just pretty much allowed myself to just feel what what the music makes me feel which is there's always stuff going on in all of our lives we're always feeling things right and it intensifies that emotion mm-hmm. so that's why if I'm thinking about my daughter's going through something or... or your sister. Or whatever yeah. I'm thinking about is going on, I just let the music intensifies that feeling and it just goes where it goes. And I'm just really comfortable with... I mean, you know how people do uh, jigsaw puzzles or, or whatever. To me, writing a lyric is like that. Mm. It's like um, I enjoy it. It's the game of organizing, making things rhyme. Yeah. It's peaceful to me. And I've gotten you know, confident with it. Mm-hmm. So I have fun with it. Uh, so it's not a labor anymore. One of the many things I appreciate about your writing is, you know, I've heard every song you guys have ever done and there's not a single cliche in any of those. How hard is it to avoid some of those lyrical ruts that are been have been well-worn? Is that something that you have to intentionally avoid or do you just write and that's how it naturally progresses? Yeah, I, I hate cliches, and um, I'll change them. I'll do anything to modify. You can modify a cliche or something, but like uh, you know, that what's the one that has the 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 snake that calls a lizard a reptile, and the, the something that called the monkey that calls a you know, it's like the the, the what's the saying? Um, pot the, calling the kettle yeah, the black. pot calling the kettle black. That's I just played on that and oh, did something else. Interesting. I, so sometimes cliches, I'll just swap words out. Yeah. 
Um, but just the word game is just really, it's fun to me. I, I, I take forever, like, you know, Daryl will send me a chord progression with some melody or something, but I will work on the phrasing mm. over and over. Whether I play on guitar or listening to the thing, I will take hours yeah. just singing the phrasing, working out the phrasing and the, get the melody just right. And it's not like a labor of, it's just something I enjoy doing. You know, it's like meditative almost to me. Yeah. Now, some of your songs are more um, po- poetic, maybe an obscure, like Children of Time, which is one of my favorites. But then you also have songs, um, even on the, on Deep Cuts, that are very poignant and specific, like Reckless Ways. Mm. When you're approaching a song, if you've gotten a melody from Derry, or maybe it's a melody you're working on, how do you know how you want to approach that content, what you're trying to say. How do you approach how you want to tell that story if you want to be more obscure and poetic or if you want to be more um, exacting and, um, I don't know the right word, poignant maybe. Um, So poetic, poignant, how do you, is that a conscious decision or do you just kind of let it happen naturally? Well, that's a real balance because I want people to understand the song, but sometimes I want to, sometimes um, you can get away with really intense subject matter if you mask it in metaphor. Mm-hmm. So there's a, uh, there's a balance there. That's a good question. I'm not sure how to answer it, but I don't know. I, I, I don't want to completely alienate people, and I've gotten better over it over the years. Songs like Children, the way back, the songs were more abstract. Right. And I didn't always know. I, I think sometimes the words didn't even say what I was me- meaning, mm-hmm. where I just think, first off, you just ha- I just have to decide what's the song about. Mm-hmm. What's it going to be about? And a lot of times... It's something that Derry sings. Like that song, for example, he was singing, um, There Go All My Reckless Friends. That was his look. And a lot of times mm-hmm. he'll sing a, a line or a phrase in the middle of, a, of, a, of the guide vocal he's doing. Mm-hmm. And I usually honor that. Or I try to listen to it and think, get it, think what was Derry thinking about? Or, you know, or I like that phrase, and so I'll play off it. But he said, There Go All My Reckless Friends. Well, I already had a song, we already had a song called I Want to Walk in the Woods with a Friend. Mm-hmm. So I thought, oh, I don't want to do another friend thing, so well, there go all my reckless ways. All right? And, you know, and then it was, what's the song? Goodbye, all my reckless ways. Right. Right? He modified it, went from that, what he did, to like, good, you know. Um, yeah. So it's a lot of times it, it happens that way. There's, yeah. There are many examples of that that no one would know that, that that's where it came from. Yeah. I love the fact that you guys have some lighthearted songs like Californians on Ice. You've got a lot of songs about people like Hey Gene, Mr. Chandler, The Fool, which I think you guys wrote about me. Um, <laughs> I wrote it about me. <laughs> Did you really? Yes. <laughs> but I think sometimes people um, might overlook, Steve, how good of a storyteller you are. Huh. And I look at on, on Derry's last solo album, Color of Dreams. Um, when you wrote Your Chair, you wrote that from Derry's perspective, which was not really, I, it didn't dawn on me when I the first listened to it, but that's, I think if people think about that, that's pretty incredible. How did you write that song? Um, I know it's not a choir song, but we're talking about songwriting, but right. how did you get inside Derry's head? Obviously, I know you you knew Joe very well. Yeah, but, well, um, I was, we were doing it, the record over, Derry's record, we were working on it over at his place. I mean, Derry was living with his dad, mm-hmm. and he would sit there, and I knew the stories, uh, and I, you know, Derry wanted to do that song, and um, he had the idea that your chair, you know, that was Derry's idea, and then he was sitting in the chair, and I just would talk to Joe. 
Yeah. You know, I'd heard the stories from Derry, some of them, but I, I talked to him. Yeah, just told that story. It was a great, it's a great, great story. All you do is ask the details, you know. How right. old were you when you, like, walked, you know, you went from, you know, Arkansas to California? Oh, I was, you know, 11. Mm-hmm. Or, and so the mm-hmm. specifics of it, I you just, I don't know, the 44 Ford or whatever. It might not yeah. have been a 44. I think that, okay. you know what I mean? There's poetic it's, license in sure. it, but... Uh, 44 sounds, 44 Ford. Yeah, it's poetic well. license. Poetic, like, my dad told me, my dad told me... Um, so funny when he goes, Dad, Steve, there was no Ford. Ford didn't make cars during the war. Oh, right. You know, <laughs> like, there's not a 44 Ford in existence. Yeah, it's like, well, okay. That's, <laughs> That's all right. Creative license. Yeah. But yeah, that, um, I think that just that Derry's record is one of the best things we've done. It's beautiful. Um, We're and listening to it today in our, the car. Yeah, and I think Color of Dreams, that mm-hmm. song might mm-hmm. be as good a song as as uh, we we have in our body of work. I just think that is a just a spectacular song. I love that idea. I can't remember the line. There's no medicine to cure my wounded heart, something like that. But I've got wine and I've got firewood. Right. That's I was so such proud a how great that line. rhyme, the rhyme with firewood and right foot, left foot, right foot, oh, right. firewood. You know, I just yeah. mm-hmm. it was yeah. a that was a real that Deary had the the title title of his record, uh, Color of Dreams. And I'm like, what the heck does that mean? You know, how do you come up with something that like doesn't mean anything or whatever? But then I start I started to think, well, it's like an intangible. It's like yeah. you can't really see that. You can't. And what can't you see? And then I started to think, well, what all five senses? Let's see if we can get all five senses: can't smell, can't taste, can't see, can't touch, mm. can't feel, whatever, in one chorus. But they're all tangibles. They're they're the, the senses. That, but you can't see it. And then we have a really good friend whose wife had died, and that's what it became. A sheet. He told me. He says, you know, I'm not going to change these sheets because I can still smell Shelly on them. Oh, mm-hmm. that's heartbreaking. Because that's the loss. And when you the loss of someone you love, you lose. You, you don't touch them. You don't smell them. You don't. T- it's a the total loss. Right. And that's that's what the song ended up being about. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful song. My youngest daughter Shane. She still has. A feather pillow that my grandmother had, mm. that her grandmother had, I mean, that my mom had, that she slept on all the time with this this satin red sheet on it, like a maroon sheet. And Shane still has that, and she's never washed the sheet. And you can pick it up and still smell my mom on it after all these years. Oh, wow. So when she gets real, you know, if she get, is going through something really bad, she'll get that pillow out, and she just sleeps on it at night, you know. That's beautiful. But that whole... Yeah, that kind of thing. And the other thing too is that, it, that I came up with that the color of dreams thing because I dream in color a lot mm. instead of black and white. Mm-hmm. And so I started looking around online trying to figure out why. And there's a weird there's a weird difference between people that dream in color and people that don't. Really, most people don't dream in color, huh. but the ones that do, there's there's a lot of real quirky kind of things about them. More they're more artistic than other yeah. people. They have a tendency to to look at a broader scope as opposed to focusing on certain things. You know, it's just like there's all kinds of weird like people that study dreams. There's all kinds of strange stuff about why some people dream in color and why some people don't. Very interesting. I've never heard that before. Yeah, I never have either. <laughs> you know, going back to to your chair, what was that like for you when Steve showed you those lyrics? Because they're obviously oh, very personal. No, it's perfect. Yeah, because that because I remember telling him that. You know, sitting there watching my dad and talking to him at night, it was it was like reliving his life. Yeah. You know, and he's 
I'm sitting on the couch and he's telling me these stories from his chair, but yet we're not. For me, it's like I'm not there. I'm with him over in the South Pacific or whatever. You know, I'm yep. with him somewhere else. That's one of my f- favorite songs of ours ever. I, I think that probably it's hard to say what the greatest of anything is, but I think the greatest story, Steve, that you wrote, because I, I I met Joe, yep. but I didn't obviously know him like you guys do, but you captured that so perfectly. And yeah, I remember uh, talking to you once and you, you got to play that song for your dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was, what was his reaction? To oh, that? he started crying. Yeah. 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 That line gets me every time. I don't even know if I'll be able to get through this without tearing up. And there never was a son who loved his father more than I love you. I think that is, is so beautiful. It's such well, that's a, what such Joe told line. me. Yeah. Uh, that's exactly what he told me. Oh, really? It was an exact quote. Yeah, so you have to, like the best songs, um, you have to, it's really important for songwriters to know what the song is about. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, when I'm writing with someone that, co-writing with someone that's not kind of an amateurish with, with lyrics or whatever, mm-hmm. a lot of times they don't really know what their song's about. It's about what, it really helps when you know. And I knew what the song was about because it was a, it was a real, true story. All I had to do was make it rhyme. Yeah, you which know? is not easy. It's hard, oh. to, it's hard to tell a story well. But then to make it rhyme, yeah. I would think well, is... it just it wasn't hard for me. Yeah, you know, and I, <laughs> it was easy for me. That's and a great I, one. I, I was well, just, and again, you had known my dad. I mean, for yeah. how many years you'd known him? You know, yeah. Incredible. Now, Derry, so you get some lyrics from Steve. How do you know how you're going to approach that? If it's going to be something that's more um, ethereal. And, and kind of laid back and spacious as a lot of your guys' songs are, if it's going to be something that's a little more driving. Do you feel somewhat dictated by the lyrics, or how do you approach melody and overall feel for the song? No, I mean, usually it's... Usually because it's something I've played that he's working off of that... Yeah, the only thing I have to get used to is, you know, we all kind of go into our thing about... Like when I hum some... Thing on a scratch vocal, I'm just humming a melody in my head or whatever. Gotcha. You tend to default to the same rhythmic patterns. Oh, okay. That you, you know, just kind of like right off the top of your head, you just kind of fall into the same rhythmic patterns that you normally would. Mm-hmm. And so for me, the, the different, the only real difference is really getting the rhythm the way he is hearing it. Got it. Because his whole, he's hearing the big picture of the drums and the, accents and stuff like that where i'm just kind of singing yeah you know so it's like once i get the rhythm down then i'm okay well i'm a drummer so it's very very rhythmic and percussive mm-hmm. we're not the kind of thing where like you know bernie type and elton john bernie type and write this lyric gave it elton mm-hmm. he sat there and made it we don't do it that way mm-hmm. i think the, the the lyric is a reaction to the music more mm. and i think that in in a lot of ways it's better approach because the lyric is serving the song I mean, the song is what matters. The melody, the hook. Do you enjoy a song? Right. Most people, I mean, the lyric, yeah, you're lucky to get to write a lyric. It, it just, the, the, the song, the melody is the most important thing. Because you can have a great lyric, but if the song, if the melody of the song isn't great, then it, people aren't going to listen no, to it. No, of course right. not, you know. It's like Coldplay would always write these great songs like the Yellow, whatever mm-hmm. that is. The great song, you're like, what's that about? It's not about anything, you know. It was all yellow. Right, right, who cares? But um, so I think it's better for the, for the lyric to serve the music rather than the other way around. 
a lot yeah. of times. Because a lot of times when you write a lyric separately and then you there's too many syllables, too many words, you know. Mm. Whereas if the melody's first like da na na na, come on, let's write the circle slide. Right. Come on, let's write, write the circle slide. Now who would just write that? Here's the chorus. Let's write the circle slide. Let's write the circle slide. The music had to come first and then you then you know, well, it doesn't need and the other thing is that you you spoke about I'm I'm really talking like I've had a bunch of coffee, but I haven't. I don't know what the deal is. But um, No, I love it. You talked about our band being melody. Like I think that's the best thing, our, our, our strongest um, quality as a band, is that it's just we're, we, we all have a, a really developed sense of melody. Mm-hmm. But from the start, when Derry does a demo, it's always got, a, or usually there's a melody on guitar or something already. There's a hook. So a lot of times the lyric, my, if I respond melodically to it, it's a response to that guitar or, or instrumental melody. So there is one melody, then there's another, and then um, Tim was a very melodic bass player, mm-hmm. and of course Dan brings a lot of melody. Yeah. Too. So it's like kind of like melody upon a melody. We have no lack of that. Yeah. Um, and I think that's uh, probably the best thing about our band. Mm-hmm. I would agree. I would I would totally agree. Now, sometimes um, you guys will have a song where the lyric and the the feel or the, the the musicality of a song match really well. I was listening to Hurricane last night. Such an epic, sweeping beginning. In that, to me, that song feels like a storm to me. Like you have the slow build up, you've got the climax of the song, and then it kind of fades back out, just like like a storm would. Other songs, I was I was just listening to Birds Bewildered from Bloodshot. It's a heavier lyric, you know, it's about the end of a relationship, it's loss, but the melody is really engaging. It's it's really it's a very singable upbeat kind of a song. Is that conscious or, you know, to match the two or sometimes is it better to have a, a heavier lyric with maybe with a different feel in the musicality of it? Sometimes that tension is really really good when you have that kind of working against each other. Mm-hmm. I remember when Derry showed me that, he just played it on guitar, acoustic guitar, and sang the entire melody. The entire song was done, and I knew, is that is Dan coming home or something? Dan must dogs be home, we hear the, the dogs are greeting him. Anyway, I'll finish this. Uh, no, it's okay. I don't mind if it's in the background. Yeah, uh, okay. it was such a good song, and I remember just going, wow, you know. Um, and I walked outside. We were at, you know, at his place when he was staying with his dad. I walked out in the parking lot and just thought, I got to come up with something good because I knew how good it was. Yeah. You know, I th- I like everything Derry brings pretty much. You know, but th- once in a while there's something that you just go, this is really good. Yeah. The melody, I was just like, and the whole chord progression, everything was like done. And I'm like, oh, I gotta, I gotta dig deep. Yeah. I gotta play a high card. Wow. with it you know and so i went to that deepest topic dealing with my divorce which was fairly recent at the time i just took on the the most intense subject matter i just faced it i thought yeah. this song okay this is this this is good enough this music is good enough for this, this one th- thing that i don't want to talk about too many times yeah i'm gonna right. talk about it now and then mm-hmm. not in probably any other song ever again yeah and what came out of that is i think is a Incredible song. I love that song. Yeah, I think I like that song a lot too. It's a good one. And Matt did a great job on the strings on that too. It just took it to a, it's like that 70s, you know, string, Gus Dudgeon string arrangement. Yeah. Matt Slocum from Six mm-hmm. Minutes, you know, he, he he did the strings. Uh, he and David Davidson. Uh, so good. Yeah, really good. Now, Derry, when you're thinking of melody, do you, 
Do you often, do you play, are you sitting, you know, you and your guitar and melody starts coming or do you have something in your mind and then try to create it on your guitar? Like, or is it kind of a mixture of things? Well, it's, it, yeah, it's both. I mean, most of the time I'm just fooling around, mm-hmm. you know. If I had all the, you know, if I could remember all the melodies, the great melodies I come up with at night before I go to sleep, I'd be the best songwriter ever in the entire world. <laughs> you know, most of the time it's just picking up a guitar or with an electric guitar or acoustic. And I think I do better on my electric as far as like idea-wise because I got mm. my effects going. And it, yeah. Acoustic I fall into... Because I'm not, I'm not like a really great guitar player by any stretch of the imagination. So acoustic, I kind of fall in the same patterns, you know. Terry, you gotta turn, you gotta start using your recordings. Like, look at here's an example right here. Okay, here I'm driving here. You sent me that music. Yeah. You sent me this music, this new thing you're demoing, right? Right. I'm driving in my car on the way here, and I have, I'm singing a melody over the top of your music. Right. It was before I heard that you had, you. He always sends me one with a melody and one without. Mm. typically okay. so I can listen to his melody and then I'm free to like do mine too yeah. that's kind of what we do and then I usually it ends up being a hybrid nice. so but I, I, wrote, I do this here it was raining too you make somebody fight you make somebody and you somebody fight you it's very rhythmic I'm always good with it. <laughs> he's got this somebody ominous Music, you know that one? Yeah, those two chords are going. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Anyway, I just, I that's what I do. Document it, mm-hmm. so I would never have known. You know, that would have been forgotten. Right. Not that it's great or anything, but you know. I know. It's like a scratch gotta, pad. Yeah, I got to start pulling them. I mean, I got tons of these. I just document everything, uh, mm-hmm. and then it's yeah. So. <laughs> See, we're still evolving. That's great, though. You're yeah. using, you're making technology work for you. Yeah, I, I love that. So, Derry, melodies come to you sometimes right before you're you're going to bed. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean that's you know at least I think they, <laughs> at least I think they're good. Sometimes, sometimes I there's every once in a while I'll put something on my phone, but most of the time I'm laying in bed and I start my mind races anyway. Yeah, and so it's I'm thinking of something. I'll get some melody and. Then, Oh, I'll remember that. I'll remember it in the morning. <laughs> no, it's oh, that's lost. Too good. Oh, that's a good one. I'll remember that. It's lost. I know. It's, it's lost. lost. But it is funny how things come when they come. They different. Mm-hmm. Most of the time for me, it's like morning. My mind is so clear. I wake up in bed. I'll mm-hmm. just lay there and it'll just, that's when I, my mind is the clearest. I know. Nice. So, you know, you guys have a lot of love songs. Eyes on Fire, Sunshine Girl. I mean, many, many great love songs. Darius, you get a little tired of singing about Steve's love life? <laughs> No, it's it is what it is. Well, yeah. Derry used to have a love life. I used to. <laughs> well, like songs that we know, or they're about your girlfriend. And yeah. So. Well, no, I, I don't get. No, I don't get. I mean, it's universal. For yeah. The most part. A lot of them sure. aren't really I that. Sp- I mean, honestly, not everyone is that specific. Eyes on Fire is pretty general. I wasn't really thinking of anybody. To be yeah. honest with you. Mm-hmm. Right. And Derry like can it's get into that too. He's still romantic. Derry's a very romantic right. person. Uh, well, like New Orleans was about a girl I was dating. Right. Wow. On my record. Yeah, that's right. Nice. And there's been a few that I've. I know he has to sing the lyrics, so I'm trying to do things he, that he can feel. You know, he can feel it too. He's not dead. No. You know. <laughs> except, I, except I always wanted a shirt like Mark wore. Maybe mm-hmm. that was one that. Yeah. That was. Yeah. 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 The talking thing I still don't like. <laughs> kind of moving towards the end here. 
you guys have any plans of touring? Any thoughts? Maybe next year? Have you guys talked about that at all, or is it too early to early? No, we've been talking about it because we we want to tour in the spring, so we're gonna have to start booking it pretty soon. It just depends. You know, it all depends on if we can get enough people. Like we could have toured this fall, but we probably wouldn't have made any money because a lot of like in Michigan, they're still doing limited seating. So one of the places we play there that's like a standard is our one of our stops. We always sell it out. It's called Trinity House. Oh, right. But they're only doing half capacity. We can't make enough money doing half capacity at a place like that. Yes, yeah. we, we can't. It, yeah. it, probably with too, with touring takes out quite a bit of front time. Mm-hmm. You know, Lisa had booked an entire tour for May the first time, and just oh, we had to cancel it, and she had to do a lot of work that went down the drain. Yeah, and just to do that again, not knowing. Yeah, just the routing, and we don't know what. There's still some clubs that we had played that aren't fully open yet, or they might not reopen. Oh, so yeah. we're trying to figure all that. One of them closed down for sure. We we lost one of our mm. stops. It, you know, right now we figured it'd be better to wait till spring. Yeah. Let let some other people go out in the fall and try it out and see how it, how it goes. Yeah. yeah, and we got our Patreon thing going, so we're busy with that. We're we're keeping the good thing is we're keeping busy. Yeah. So. Um, that's that's always good. I, I meant to tell this in the beginning, but I remember... You guys remember when Chris Farley was on Saturday Night Live? Oh, he, yeah. The world's worst interviewer. Oh, gosh, right. yeah. Like, I just, stupid, stupid, yeah. stupid. Yeah. So I had one of these moments the first time I met Derry. I think I was about 19. I was were at the light... Were you that old? Yeah, I think so. Maybe 18. Yeah. I was at the lighthouse in Long Beach. Mm-hmm. I was with a friend... In the music section, and I turn the corner. I'm like, turn back real quick. I'm like, hey, that's Derry Doherty over there. And so I, you know, worked up the courage to go. And this is all I could think of to say, are, are you Derry Doherty? And you're like, yeah, I am. And then I walked away like, I am such an idiot. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> now, you and I have a history, though, because we were raised in the same denomination. Yeah. Yeah, it's so funny. We know so many of the same people, but our, our paths didn't cross till no. a little bit later. Yeah. So it's funny how, how life works. And we, you weren't that far away. You were you went to Paramount, a church in Paramount. Yeah, and then Buena Park. And then Buena Park. Mm-hmm. With Laura May. Yeah, and then we were in, in Cerritos. But yeah, that's yeah. just funny because we were raised in the same denomination. Yeah, and both survived it. Yeah, well, <laughs> speak for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, just a couple of quick questions. Any chance of a another Lost Dogs album in the future? There is a chance. Okay. Yeah, we're talking about it. All right. Kerosene Halo? I don't know. Who knows? Possibly. Yeah. Possibility. Possibility. All right. Mike's doing a bunch. He's got a, some stuff going with 77s now, so I'm not sure what. You mean they've written a song? They've written a new song, the 77s? Well, they haven't written a new song, but they have an album coming out of old songs. <laughs> yeah, see what I mean? I'm tired of that. <laughs> now, what about a Deplumed 2? Is that a project you guys have considered? Another or? one? We haven't talked about We haven't that. talked about that one. That, those, that was great, though. We it really was. Really a good season. That We started going out acoustic, and mm-hmm. it was a great season. Um, but we haven't talked about doing that again. Steve, a question for you. Why do you hate splash cymbals so much? I'm so curious. Oh, it's just it's it's attention getting behavior. I mean, drummers are bad enough as it is. I mean, what do we sit on? A throne. It's a drum throne. That's right. the, the ego is bad enough with drummers. We battle in our egos. And like 
Would Charlie Watts play a, a splash cymbal? No. Did Ringo have one? No. Did Mick Fleetwood? No. You know, Stuart Copeland? Yeah, he had a lot of them. Then he you talk a about a guy that was calling a lot of attention to himself. You know, three-piece band, okay. You know, but I just think it's really... And it's just not rock and roll, you know. Yeah. It's just like, it's, it's really it's sad. It's sad when you see a drummer <laughs> do back there, you know, so needy. It's needy. It's needy. Psst, you know. So, psst, psst, look at me, look at me. Psst, yeah, a few months ago, I, I was listening to Chase the Kangaroo, and Look Out For Your Own comes on, and I was listening. I'm like, what was that? So I had to back it up a little bit. And at the 118, 119 mark, there is very clearly... A splash symbol. So, and Steve's like, I never owned one. I don't. I don't know who it is. Let me play a little bit for you guys so you All can right. hear it. That's one of the hardest beats I ever played. Too. Do you hear that? Wait, play it again. What is that? It sounds like a splash to me. Well, I would. Okay, I'll tell you right now. I hit it with my left hand because it's like So I had to hit it with my left hand. And I wasn't playing with sticks. I was playing with those, what they call blastics, those black plastic mm -hmm. sticks. It was before the cool right, rock. So I was right. playing with that. So they're soft. So I, it might have been a 16-inch cymbal. It was, splash is like tiny, you know, but it, because I was playing with that. Um, it might have sounded more like it that. It sounded like a. It really sounds like it one. It does sound like one. Mm -hmm. but, but it has to be my left hand, so it has to be, you know. But I always had a... Because I, I don't think you ever owned a splash. No, I always had a 17 and an 18. So mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know. It does. I get where you you think it sounds like that. I always wondered maybe I don't know who mixed it. Maybe they know your disdain for the splash and just tucked one in there. That was before you... I think I had the it built up to the the, the, the my rage had built okay. up <laughs> right over the years. All right, Derek, I've got an important question for you as we wrap up. How are the Cowboys uh, going to be next season? Oh, uh, Super Bowl. All right. Prediction. The, uh, here's my prediction. If the Cowboys can get a defense that finishes in the top 12 of the NFL, they will go to the Super Bowl. That is bold. but that's Because a, their offense a, is going to be unstoppable. Yeah. They just need to be able to stop their opponent. They just got to stop their opponent. Yeah. Is Dak back? Oh, he's looking good. All looking right. really good. They're, I mean, they're going to be their offensive line is going to be healthy. They drafted well. They drafted well on defense, so... If they can finish top 12, look, you look at the Super Bowl, you look Tom, at Tom Brady going to Tampa Bay. Tom Brady didn't win that football game. Their defense won that football game. Yeah. To hold Kansas City to, what, nine points or whatever, six points? Their defense won the football game. Yeah. If uh, Dallas can get a defense, they're going to they're gonna go to the Super Bowl. All right. All right. We've, we've, got it. we've got it recorded. So that's – all right, let's talk Patreon real quick as we wrap up. You guys, uh, we're, I know that you guys are pushing to get to 200 Patreon supporters. Um, I'd like to get to 300. Yeah. But we'll settle for 200. <laughs> well, yeah. For 200 first, right? Yes. How, right. Have you guys been enjoying that? It's, it's, a, it's a little bit, obviously, you guys are going to continue to make full-length albums, mm -hmm. but you get to be kind of, you get to be creative between albums. How are you guys enjoying that? What's that like for you? I've enjoyed it. I mean, it, it keeps us doing things, mm -hmm. which is good. Good it's, for me. Yeah, it's yeah, good. Exactly. I mean, body in motion stays in motion. It's the law of inertia. So I think once you start getting, I think we're, we keep on writing songs and they're coming. So uh, I think that's a little bit unusual for us because what you usually it is you wait mm -hmm. and then you do it all at once. But, um, and also you don't, we don't have the pressure to like, oh, it has to, everything has to be epic and just be yeah. something different. Mm -hmm. 
and we're finding that well, we're wanting to, we don't want to spend money because we're you know we're trying to do it in house. Sure. So we don't want to hire bass player. We want to we want to do it, but we're having a hard time. Like oh, mm. we got to get real bass. We got to get well. Nothing could be bad with us. We have to get. It's got to be finished. And it's got to be good. Yeah. yeah so I we, mean, as far as just production the, and everything. The goes. idea of making something that's not to the caliber you used to might be a little bit challenging for you. Yeah, we don't do. We don't. We're not like. A lot of like we're not like a lot of bands where they'll throw out demos for people to hear, and we don't do that. No, and it's like you hear, and it's like, okay, it needs a harmony on it. Well, we're not mm-hmm. supposed to finish it, but I can't. We can't help it, mm-hmm. and we want to, everything to sound great. So, yeah. well, the good thing too is that with songs, we don't have the pressure of doing a. When you do an album with a band like us, it's pretty stylized. Mm-hmm. Like we know who we are, and we go in and we do this thing. Yeah. But now we can just kind of do whatever we want to do. Yeah, it's good because it's not going on an album, right? At least. It might end up on an album, but we you, we can just do whatever we want to do. Right. So like I, we did that, you know, alone song, which is more very, very different from very you, different than yeah. anything we've ever done. Which I love, and it, what I love about you guys, one of the many things I love about you guys, is you're not making the same album over and over again. You, there is a choir sound, but that sound has expanded. I think is 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 more encompassing than it's ever been, which I think is really cool. And I would think it's cool as artists to be able to create a song like Alone, to kind of branch out, spread your wings a little bit, and say, this this is different. This is something that you probably wouldn't find on a choir album, but it lets you kind of get those creative juices flowing mm-hmm. in a different direction. Yeah. It's been good, and people, the Patreon, it's been, they've been good at supporting it. We're just trying to get, get it out. A lot of people don't even know we're doing it. That's the problem with Facebook now, Yeah, is that they only allow a certain amount of people to see yeah. things. So what we're trying to do is get people that are members of Patreon to share it on their wall so that there are people that would see it that don't necessarily see our stuff and try and get to 200 and then go from there. 10 to 3 and then 4. So that's a good a good challenge for every fan of the choir who's listening to this. Share the Patreon. It's patreon.com slash the choir. The choir. Share it on your page. Help the band. This this Not only do you get great content beautiful music every single month but it also helps to expand the audience which is the goal of every band right mm-hmm. you want to be That's you right. want to be heard so well steve Derry, thank you guys it's so great to be here with you guys it's good to see you guys it's been it's been, been a, a few years yeah been a while maybe two and a half three oh, years yeah. or so yeah. since we've had you guys in and you Thanks know you so. guys are really the only artists that have ever been in our bedroom so which is <laughs> Oh, can't, yeah, that's can't right. can't really say that about a lot of people. That's right. We've been in there a couple times. Yeah, now. yeah. We'll love to have you guys back. Last question is the most important. Where are we going for dinner? Oh, I don't know. Where do you want to go? I thought about this the other night, and then I had something in my head, and I forgot it. Yeah, that's all right. We'll, we'll chat we'll, more. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to Journey to the Stage. It's been a great honor um, for me to be here in the studio with Stephen Derry Doherty, and we'll see you next time. All right. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, guys. That's a wrap.